We've been teaching for the last number of weeks uh, a series that we've entitled Healing in the Blood of Jesus. And uh, we're using as, um, um, well, actually, I, I should say it this way, we're teaching from Dr. T.J. McCrossin's book, Healing in the Bo- uh, Bodily Healing in the Atonement. And uh, it was out of print for a number of years. I think it was first uh, uh, published in 1930 and uh, went out of print for a number of years. And then Brother Hagen and uh, Dr. Roy Hicks got together and, and uh, secured the rights to it and reprinted the books. And I understand you can still get the book from uh, uh, Brother Hagen's ministry. And you can find them online in different uh, eBay and, and uh, uh, other outlets as well. But uh, nevertheless, tonight I want to talk to you about the real heart of the matter, and that is the shedding of blood. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, I'm going to start reading in verse 11. It's speaking of the, the whole context of the book of Hebrews is showing the supremacy of the new covenant over the old covenant. It's showing how Jesus fulfilled things from the Old Testament, uh, the law of Moses, and so forth. And uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews, though he's not identified, it seems like Paul's message, whether it was Paul or not, we don't know exactly. But uh, nevertheless, the Holy Spirit is trying to make the point of those things from the Old Testament, those things from the law of Moses that were fulfilled in and through and by Jesus. And in that vein, it says, beginning in uh, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. In other words, it's talking about his body was pure and spotless. Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and of the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now I want you to skip with me over to verse 22. The writer, inspired by the Holy Ghost, goes forward to speak of things in the Old Testament and the principle behind the blood of Jesus and the blood of the Old Testament ritual sacrifices and so forth. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Now, the word remission is interesting. It means literally freedom or pardon. Freedom or pardon. Without the shedding of blood, there was no way for God to pardon you of the sin and the, the, uh, well, actually, first and foremost, I should say, there was no way for Him to pardon you from the spiritual death that you partook of because of Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, it says, by one man's sin entered the world. By that one man, Adam, in the Garden of Eden, sin entered the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. He didn't say sin passed upon every man. Sin is a personal thing. Death is something that bound the world. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 2, it says the problem with the unsaved is not that they sin. The problem is that they're enemies of God. They're dead unto God. Jesus didn't say, I came to bring, uh, I came to the earth so that you might not sin. He said, I came to bring life and life more abundantly. See, God dealt with the death problem, the spiritual death problem. Sin is just the entrance, is just the, the, the entryway for that spiritual death. So here it says, but, but I should go further. Because we were spiritually dead, we all came to the place where that spiritual death began to take hold of us as individuals. The Bible says, uh, Paul gives us the example. He says, I was alive unto God without the law once, but when the law came, sin revived and I died. Now, what does that mean? That means he was born into the earth, even though it was a world dominated by sin and death, and he was still alive, spiritually alive unto God, until the knowledge of right and wrong, he calls it the law, the knowledge of right and wrong comes, then he died unto God. Spiritual death overtook him. From that point, he, just like you and I and everybody else in the earth, became sinners. So when Jesus came and paid the price, the price being His blood, that blood was intended to to accomplish and did accomplish the passing away, the pardoning, the freedom from spiritual death. Now sin for the individual is still something that you and I struggle against because of the nature of our flesh. He made us righteous by pardoning us from spiritual death. But sin is something that you and I have to dominate in our lives by that righteousness of God that we're made in Christ Jesus. 
So the phrase I want you to see in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, it says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Now, we oftentimes can uh, just quote this and, and refer to it, and we'll say just kind of casually, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. But I want you to notice he didn't say remission of sins. He just says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He said the key for pardon, the key for forgiveness, is the shedding of blood. Now turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 53. The key for pardon, the key to freedom, is the shedding of blood. Isaiah 53, we're going to read, beginning in verse 3 and down through verse 5, speaking of the Messiah, everybody agrees, every, every denominational group, every theological seminary, everybody agrees that this 53rd chapter is talking about the Messiah. It's spoken of and called in, in theological circles the Messianic chapter. All of these things pointed to what Jesus would do. It was spoken of prior to Jesus coming to the earth, but it identified from God's point of view by the Holy Ghost in Revelation, it identified that which Jesus would accomplish. For us, it's what He has accomplished. For them, it was what they were looking forward to. So it says in verse 3, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. We've made the point before that the word sorrows is literally translated pains in other places in the, in the Old Testament. The word grief is literally translated sickness in other places in the Old Testament. Why isn't it translated pains and sickness in this case? I don't have an explanation for you, folks, other than the translators chose to not refer to it in terms of sickness, physical sickness. Well, what is it speaking of? Verse 4, it goes further and it says, Surely He has borne our griefs, here's the word sickness, and carried our sorrows, here's the word pains. Yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions, He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. Now folks, the fact that, they, that the translators chose not to translate the, the Hebrew word koli as sickness and the, um, uh, the Hebrew word, um, well, what is the Hebrew word? I just lost the other Hebrew word. The other word for pains. The fact that they chose not to translate those words as sickness and pains gives rise to some people in verse 5 to say that by his stripes we are healed is not talking about physical sickness, but rather it's talking about some kind of spiritual healing that is ours. The problem is you can't find that the Bible speaks of spiritual healing in any context whatsoever. Now, I know that a lot of church folks teach on spiritual healing. And, and from what I understand, I'm not, a, I'm not a big proponent of it, and so I don't follow people's teaching along that line. But what I gather from that is that they're talking about emotional hurts and things in, in, in you know, people's emotions and things in their past and stuff like that. God will heal you of those things. Well, there's no question about that. But the Bible says very specifically how that happens. The Bible says very specifically that the way that you change your emotional hurts and the things from your past that are hung, hanging on to you is that you renew your mind to who you are now. Paul said, gives us instruction, very clear instruction, where, uh, where the, the, uh, your past is concerned. Paul said this one thing, the only thing that the Bible says about your past, this one thing I do, forgetting that which is behind. I press forward into the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're being bothered by your past, the Bible has specific instruction for you, and that is, forget it. I know a lot of people think that's hard. A lot of people uh, interpret that or hear that as being an uncaring thing. But the fact is, your past will only hold you back to the degree that you continue to dwell on it. But instead, if you'll take what the Bible says about who you are in Christ Jesus and confess what the Bible says you are now, more than a conqueror, filled with His power, a new creature in Christ Jesus, and so forth, if you'll start meditating and saying those things, then the stuff in your past will be like it happened to somebody else and it was just a story that you heard. So don't let your past hold you back. Okay, therefore, what does that mean? That means by His stripes we are healed cannot mean some kind of spiritual or emotional healing. Yeah, but didn't Jesus say in Luke chapter 4, didn't He say, I came to heal the brokenhearted? Yeah, but brokenhearted does not mean emotionally hurt. Brokenhearted means breach in spirit. He's giving us some indication about how sickness comes. 
Sickness comes through a breach in spirit. Now, what breach in spirit would open the door to sickness? Adam's sin. The Bible says, by, wherefore, by one man, sin, one man being Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. When do we see sickness popping up? Before the fall or after the fall? We know that after God created the heavens and the earth, six days of creation, He looked over everything and said it was very good. Day seven, it said God put an end to everything that He made. Literally, where it says He rested, it literally means He put an end to everything that He made. In other words, everything God made was in days one through six. He never made anything after that. Well, if sickness was present in days one through six, why would God look at it and say that it was very good? The Bible says there was nothing to hurt man here on the earth. The Bible tells us it was an exact picture of heaven. There was nothing that could harm. There was nothing that would, could destroy. Satan was already on the scene because God had warned Adam and Eve to dress and keep the garden. That means guard it and protect it. If there was no enemy here, there would be nothing to guard and protect against. Folks, I want you to understand something. God's picture, what, what we envision as the Garden of Eden, paradise. God's picture of paradise is you being able to live free from the work of the devil in the middle of the devil trying to work. Paradise is not the absence of the devil. It's you living above him. Yeah, that always goes over big. Because see, most of the time we want to think of, oh, oh, won't it be great when there is no devil? Okay, yeah, I'm sure that will be great. But I want to defeat him now. Don't you? I don't want to just barely get to heaven and say, boy, I'm glad he's gone. And Jesus to look at me and say, well, why didn't you use the word and use my name and defeat him while he was there? You don't get a second chance on that, folks. I mean, what are we going to do? We get there and we say, you mean we could have lived in victory all the time where we were on the earth? Yeah, of course. That's why I gave you the word. That's why I gave you authority in my name. Oh, man, let me have a do-over. You don't get a do-over. This is the do-over. This is it. This is your one chance. So where it says he heals the brokenhearted, it means he heals. By the way, that word heal has to do with physical healing. It's always interpreted, always translated as physical healing. It says that he heals the brokenhearted. He heals that which was breached in spirit that opened the door to sickness. That's what it means. So what is this talking about? It's talking about Jesus bore our sicknesses and carried our pains. Now, let me talk to you about these two words. We mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, but I want to focus on it for just a little bit more to make sure you get the point. The word, there are two words that are talked about, two verbs that are used, two Hebrew words, verbs that are used. One is in verse 4, born, and the other is the verb carried. The verb born literally means this. It's the, the Hebrew word nasa, and it means to suffer punishment for something. So it says, surely he has suffered punishment for something. Well, what's the something that's identified? Griefs, which is the word sickness. Surely he has suffered punishment for our sicknesses. That's a literal rendering of the word. The word carried means to bear something as a penalty or chastisement. So surely he has suffered punishment for our sicknesses and borne our pains as a penalty or chastisement. That's what these words mean, folks. Now, let me give you an example of this one word uh, to, so that you'll see it. I could take the time and do it for both, but I won't. But let me show you the one word in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 21, 22, somewhere around there. Let me, uh, let me give you an example of what this word is used. In the Old Testament, there was, on the Day of Atonement, there was a, um, um, there was a ritual that was taking place. We talk about, and a lot of times we focus on the, uh, the sacrificial lamb, which Jesus was certainly the type of, or fulfilled the type of. But there was also another lamb, the Bible calls it a goat, really the Bible calls both of them goats. There were two animals that were chosen, both had to be examined by the high priest, both of them had to be identified and certified as spotless, worthy of a sacrifice. There could be no spot, no blemish, there could be nothing about them that would be considered to be impure. They had to be perfect animals to fit this category. Now, when they had these two animals, the high priest would draw lots. And the, the reason he's drawing lots is because he's determining which one will be the scapegoat and which one will be the sacrificial lamb. One of them is going to be sacrificed for the sins of Israel. where there is no, Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. So one of them has to have their blood spilled and sprinkled on the altar and so forth. 
The other has a totally different purpose. Now, the second one, the, the, second one, the, the one that uh, uh, is not the sacrifice, is called the scapegoat. Let me read to you what the Bible says about the scapegoat. Leviticus chapter 16, we'll start reading in verse 20. It says, and when, he has made, uh, uh, and when he has made an end of reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat. This is the scape- scapegoat he's talking about. And Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions in all their sins. So what's he doing? Aaron has to lay hands, or the, the priests have to lay hands on this scapegoat and name every sin known to man. For what purpose? Confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the, uh, of the goat and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man, that means a strong man, into the wilderness. And the goat, verse 22, and the goat, here's the scapegoat, here's his purpose, and the goat shall bear upon him all the iniquities into a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Now the word bear in Leviticus 16.22 is the same Hebrew word nasa, which, it, which says that Jesus suffered the punishment for our sicknesses. In other words, just as the scapegoat bears away, carries into the wilderness, separates from Israel the sins that are pronounced upon his head, he separates their sins from themselves so that the judgment of God falls onto the wilderness in the same way Jesus bore or suffered the punishment for your sickness. Folks, you need to understand something. Jesus was not just the sacrificial lamb. He was the sacrificial lamb and the scapegoat. If he was not both, then part of the type of the Old Testament ritual sacrifice was not fulfilled. He had to have been both. So what's the, what's the significance? The sacrifice provided the blood. The scapegoat provided the bearing away of the sins. See, folks, if the sacrificial lamb is the one that had the sins pronounced upon him, then that's a sinful animal whose blood is being shed. So here's the, here's the type of Jesus. Jesus was sinless. And he shed his blood. But in in so doing, on the work of the cross, he bore away by punishment your sins and iniquities. That's what the Bible says that the scapegoat would do. Now turn back with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, I want you to start with me in verse 4 again. It says, Surely he has borne, he has suffered punishment for our sicknesses. That's not talking about sins. It says, just as the scapegoat carried away the sins of Israel, it says, Jesus carried away your sins, or bore away your sins. I guess bore would be a better word to use, since carried is used in in, uh, the next phrase. It says, and carried our pains. The word carry again is to bear our pains, in this case, as a penalty or a chastisement. Folks, I want you to understand that Hebrew, that... uh, the Hebrew language in Isaiah 53, 4 says that Jesus took your sicknesses and carried your pains as a punishment on your behalf. Now look at chapter uh, Isaiah 53, verse 5. Look at the next verse. Notice it says, He was wounded for our transgressions. That's sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That's sins. One is the individual sin. One is the sin of Adam. Then it goes further, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now I want you to understand something, folks. The same word, our, O-U-R, is used in the Hebrew language denoting whose sicknesses Jesus took and whose sins Jesus took. The point I'm trying to make is very simply this. Well, I tell you what, before I make that point, let me show you something else. These two words, born and carried. Let me show you verses 11 and 12 of Isaiah 53. It says that He bore away our sicknesses and He carried away our pains. He suffered these things as a punishment for us. Now some people will say, well, no, 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 that, that, that can't really mean that. They, they refuse to believe in physical healing as a part of the atoning work of Jesus. Well, okay, let's examine the language a little bit further. Verse 11, He, speaking of Jesus 
shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied by his knowledge, shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. This word bear is the same word sabal that's translated carried in verse 4. So what is the Bible saying? It's saying in the same way he carried pains, he carried iniquities. No different work. The same way he carried pains, he carried iniquities. Verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he has poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore, or bare, the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This word bear, B-A-R-E, is the same word translated born in verse 4. So in the same way He has borne our sicknesses, He bore our transgressions. Is that the word that you used? The sin of many. He bore the sin of many. In other words, the same way He carried sin, Isaiah 53, 4, same chapter, Messianic chapter, says He bore sicknesses. The same way He bore or carried away transgressions or iniquities in Isaiah 53, 11, He carried or bore away pains. Now, folks, there's something you need to understand about both Hebrew and Greek. There are some things about the Hebrew language and the Greek language that are really difficult for us with the English. However, it makes perfect sense that God would choose Hebrew and Greek as the original transcripts for the Bible because they are exact languages. See, there's a lot of different ways you could say things in the English language. That's not true where the Greek is concerned. That's not true where the Hebrew is concerned. Words have very specific meanings. In the Hebrew, sometimes they have double meanings. And so you have to identify which of the two meanings does it, does it refer to based on the context. The Greek is even more exact than that. The New Testament is the most exact language you can get. And my point is very simply this. If there was any difference, any slight difference in the way that Jesus bore sicknesses and bore sins, the Bible would be, the Hebrew language would be bound to show that difference in the language. If there was any difference whatsoever in the way that Jesus carried your pains and carried the sins of many, the Hebrew language would be bound to identify it with language itself or with different words. It's showing us that there is an exact parallel. In the same way He bore sins, He bore sicknesses. In the same way He carried iniquities, He carried pains. The language identifies it specifically. Now the question is this. Some people will stop and say, yeah, but that was just for the Jews. Well, was His carrying away of iniquities and transgressions just for the Jews? No, we take Isaiah 53.5 and says, He was wounded for our transgressions. That means He carried our, our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. That means sin has been carried away for us. Well, what's the difference in the word our for sicknesses and pains and transgressions and iniquities? It's the same word our. And again, the Hebrew and the Greek are both exact. In this case, the Hebrew would have to. It would be determined by language itself that another word would be used if he's talking about a different individual, different group of people regarding sicknesses and transgressions. The same hour that he bore the transgressions for, he bore the sicknesses for. That's my point. Now, I'll prove it to you from the New Testament. God's so smart, he knew people were going to argue about this. He knew people were going to argue about this, and as a result, he gave us a commentary. Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Why don't you turn with me over there? Matthew chapter 8, in case anybody was unsure about whether this was talking about physical healing or not, God gave us a Holy Ghost commentary. Now, if you go to most, uh, uh, most ministers' libraries, you'll find that they have bookshelves full of different people's commentaries. There are certain famous commentaries that people have. A lot, one of the, the most common is Matthew Henry's commentary. Dr. Henry has some interesting things to say about a lot of stuff. I don't agree with everything he has to say, but he was a very learned man, and he was an honest man. And so he did the best that he could to comment uh, according to the... To the uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? According to the accuracy of the Scriptures. But 
Can I ask you a question? Would anybody prefer Dr. Henry's commentary or anybody else's commentary over the Holy Ghost commentary? I mean, if you've got the Holy Ghost saying, here's what something means, you're good as gold, aren't you? How can you misunderstand that? That's what Matthew 8, 16 and 17 is. It's a commentary on Isaiah 53, 4. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 8. When the evening was come, they brought unto him Jesus, many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Here's Isaiah 53, 4. Here's the Greek translation of Isaiah 53, 4, inspired by the Holy Ghost, which was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, the, uh, saying, himself took our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. Literally from the Greek, this would read, our infirmities would read the sicknesses of us. Surely he has borne our infirmities or the infirmities of us and bear the sicknesses of us. Now, this word is interesting because uh, the, the Greek translation of this is interesting and, and realize that uh, Matthew wrote in Greek. Uh, we've made this comment before, but it might be good to repeat it for those of you that weren't with us. Very few people, uh, really only the Orthodox Jews in Jesus' day and in the days following Jesus' crucifixion, the days where the, the Bible was written uh, or the New Testament was written, the letters uh, written to the church and the Gospels, very few people wrote and spoke Hebrew. As a matter of fact, Paul was trained as a rabbi and there was one case, one situation where he stood up. He was uh, gathered, there was a riot and, and uh, the Roman soldiers were there and, and trying to protect Paul from being killed in this case. And he asked if he could address the crowd. So he stood up and addressed the crowd and he did it in Hebrew. And everybody was shocked. You speak Hebrew? That said something to them. That told them that he was trained as a rabbi. He had the same training that the high priest had. And, and that was very significant for them because they realized, hey, this is not just some, some joker coming down the road that doesn't know what he's doing. This is somebody that's been trained in the law of Moses. He knows it better than we do. So it had great significance for them. Well, since most people did not speak Hebrew, most of the Jews didn't even speak Hebrew, the language of the day was Greek or a form of Greek called Aramaic. And as such, most of the people that had any understanding or any writing or any um, written form of the Bible didn't have it in Hebrew. They had it in Greek. They had what's called the Septuagint. And as such, we have Matthew, we have Luke, in some cases Mark, and in a few cases John, who are all referring to Old Testament Scriptures in the Greek, not in the Hebrew. So the Greek was well understood. It was, by the way, the Septuagint was translated by 70 rabbis, guys that knew the Hebrew language. And so they translated it into Greek for the common, common man, for the purpose of people understanding what the law of Moses was. The Old Testament was all they had at that time. And so it was understood in the, that the Septuagint was an understanding uh, in the Greek language, a translation into the Greek language that was accepted and accurate according to the Hebrew original language. So when Matthew quotes Isaiah 53.4, he's quoting it in the Greek as everybody understood it to be. And what did he say? He said Jesus healed as a fulfilling of Isaiah 53.4. We've talked about it's not the end of the fulfillment. It was the beginning of the fulfillment. Same thing was said in Matthew chapter 12 about in His name, in Jesus' name, the Gentiles would trust. Well, that didn't end when Jesus went to the cross, did it? That didn't even begin until after Jesus was raised from the dead. But the fact that Jesus was here on the earth performing His messianic work that began the fulfilling of these things. Jesus' healing was evidence of fulfilling Isaiah 53, 4. Himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. Now, as I said before, because the Greek language is so exact, you need to understand something. Just as it says, bore our sicknesses, or literally the sicknesses of us, there are other places where this word, this verb is used. First uh, Corinthians chapter 15 Verse 3 says that Christ died for our sins, literally the sins of us. 1 Peter 2.24 says, Jesus, who is speaking of Jesus, said, Who his own self bear our sins, the sins of us, in his own body on the tree. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, 
that God sent His Son to be the propitiation, that means mercy seat, for our sins. Here's this word again, the sins of us. So we've got Peter, we've got Paul, and we've got John saying that Jesus took or bore or paid the price for the sins of us. And Matthew uses the same exact term to say that Jesus bore the sicknesses of us. Here's my point, folks. Greek is so exact that if the us of Matthew 16 was different from the us of 1 Peter 2.24, 1 John 4.10, and 1 Corinthians 15.3, it would have been necessary for them to use different words. The us of Matthew 8.16 and 17 has to be the same us, this saying Jesus took the sins of. That's how exact the Greek language is. That's why it's so dishonest. Boy, I hate to say it that way. It's true. It's dishonest. I'm sorry. I can't pull any punches on that. That's why it's so dishonest for people to say that the idea that physical healing being in the atonement is just some man-made idea. Nothing could be further from the truth. The same Jesus that bore our sins bore our sicknesses. And it's confirmed not only in the Hebrew, it's confirmed in the Greek. And everybody in Jesus' day understood it. Now, we've gotten a lot smarter since then, you understand. But in Jesus' day, it was common knowledge that this is showing that Jesus is the Messiah because He's bearing away the sins of us. Or bearing away the sicknesses of us, I should say. Now, I want you to look with me to um, 1 Corinthians chapter... Well, let me read something to you that Dr. McCrossin said first. Let me read this. He said, trying to make Isaiah 53, 4 and Matthew 8, 17 refer only to the people of Christ's own day and not to us is just as absurd and unscholarly as trying to persuade us that the book of James is not for the church age but only for the 12 tribes that it was written to. You remember James chapter 1, verse 1? He says, James, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. Well, if it's only to the 12 tribes scattered abroad, why in the world did we keep it in the Bible? Because it's not just to the Jews, it's for the church. They're born into the family of God, and so it belongs to all of us. The things that James said belong to them are the same things that belong to us. It's confirmed at other places in the Scripture. So for anybody to take the, this idea, or what they call the man-made idea that physical healing is, a, is, is some kind of invention, some doctrinal invention by man to place it in the atonement, must not be able to read Isaiah 53. Or they don't have enough understanding of the language, both Hebrew or Greek, to understand that it's impossible for physical healing to not be part of the work of Jesus. Look with me over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter 6. Remember where we started this evening? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. I want to show you why that's true, where healing is concerned. First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul said, inspired by the Holy Ghost, he said, what? He's speaking to the church. He said, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. I want you to notice that phrase. You are bought with a price. The word bought literally means to redeem. It means you are redeemed with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Or we might say which belong to God. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says. It says that both your spirit, we understand that, Jesus purchased the forgiveness of sins, what people call the forgiveness of sins, and so we therefore understand that spiritually we belong to God because we're His child. We make Jesus the Lord of our lives, and so our spirits belong to God. But the Bible says in the same way that your spirit belongs to God, it says your body belongs to Him too. Why? Because the same price was paid for both. Because you're bought with a price. Because you're bought with a price. By the way, the word price in the Greek literally means honor. You were bought with honor. We know that the price was the precious blood of Jesus. The Bible's very clear on that. That was what God considers and calls 
honor. You were redeemed with honorable blood. And because you were bought with a price, two things belong to God, your body and your spirit. Now, wait a minute, Pastor Mike. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Doesn't Paul say, Paul wrote the the letter to the Corinthians, wrote several, in fact. We have two of them, but we know of two others that he had to write that he refers to. Wasn't Paul the author of the book of Corinthians? Yeah. Well, didn't Paul say in Romans chapter 8 and verse 23 that we're waiting for the redemption of our body? Yes, he did. Well, if we're waiting for the redemption of our body, how then can healing, physical healing, be a part of the atoning work of Jesus? Simple. Because of this. When you got saved, you have two promises. The promise is the life of God now, here on the earth, and eternal home. In other words, you've got something that's going to work for you in the church age until Jesus comes back. And then when Jesus comes back, you have the promise of heaven, the destination of heaven as your promise. Now, a lot of times people forget about the first part. They forget about the life of God here. They forget about what belongs to us here on the earth. And they just think, well, now we're saved. We've got an eternal home. But remember what Jesus' instruction to us is. He said, occupy till I come. In other words, he's saying, I've got to work for you here. Folks, if all there was to being saved was going to heaven, then as soon as you got saved, you'd die and go. God leaves you here for a purpose. There's a work for the church to do. Otherwise, he'd be unfair, he'd be unjust to leave us here. If we're supposed to be here for the devil to chew on until Jesus comes back, how in the world is that being a good father? That's not what it's about. He leaves you here for a purpose. What is his purpose? Well, the Bible says that God wants you to exercise dominion over the devil. He wants you to do the same works that Jesus did, and the Bible says Jesus was manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He left the church in place to be his hands, to be his eyes, to be his voice so that the devil would be defeated in reality and not just in theory. That's why he made you more than a conqueror. That's why he said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He left you here to do a work. But Jesus is coming back for us. And when he comes back, we get to go to heaven with him. Now that's the spiritual side. What about the physical side? It works exactly the same way. Jesus purchased physical healing for you so that during the church age you would have a benefit of the life of God within you. It would manifest in physical healing, but when the church age is over, when it ends, and Jesus comes back for us, He says something else will happen with our bodies. We'll receive a redeemed or renewed body. The the old sin nature, the the evidence of sin will be gone and will be changed in the moment of an eye or the twinkling of an eye. An atomic moment is literally what it means. Instantly, quicker than instantly, we'll be changed. Our bodies will be changed. But that doesn't take away with the fact that Jesus purchased healing for us while we're here. Therefore, you're bought with a price. You're bought, two things were bought by the blood of Jesus, your body and in your spirits. Now, let me close with this. And I'll have to run through this kind of quickly. I won't, I won't keep you long. But I want you to understand something. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. There is no pardon. There is no forgiveness or freedom. 1 Peter chapter 2. We quoted the first part of the verse a minute ago. But I want you to see the whole thing. Now, Peter is quoting in the Greek from Isaiah 53, 5. And he says, who his own self, at least part of the verse is quoting. He says, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. And here's the part from Isaiah 53, 5. By whose stripes you were healed. By his stripes you were healed. Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. I missed something. Let me say it again. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. The only difference in what, I, in what Peter quotes and what Isaiah 53, 5 says is the tense of the verb. Isaiah 53, 5 says, by his stripes, you are healed. Peter, looking back at the accomplished work of Jesus, says, by his stripes, you were healed. That's the only difference. 
Now, folks, the word healing that's used both in the Hebrew in Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter 2.24, the word healed literally refers to physical healing every time it's used, Old Testament and New Testament. It's the Greek word that we get our word physician from. Now, nobody talks about a physician as being a spiritual healer. It's always used. Hebrew language, Greek language. It's always used in physical healing terms. Always. However, there is something about this that's very interesting where both the Hebrew language is concerned and the Greek language is concerned. In, uh, uh, in, in both Isaiah 53.5 and 1 Peter 2.24, it's translated in the English by his stripes... You were healed or are healed, depending on which one you're looking at. The word stripes is interesting because it's, a, it's, it's, it's translated, I guess it's translated the best way that we could understand it in English, but both Hebrew and Greek, it's very, very incorrect. Because the word is not stripes, the word is bruise. It's not bruises, plural, it's bruise. Now, we think of the work of Jesus as Jesus being taken to Pilate's court and the Roman soldiers pulling out a whip and they hit Jesus on the back and, and at least until the Passion, the movie The Passion came out. We would think of it as Jesus would come away with big long stripes across his back and those stripes were the price that he paid for our physical well-being. It's not what happened. The, va- the, va- the, the fact that the Hebrew language and the Greek language both use the word bruise rather than bruises, means that there would be no one mark that could be distinguished from another. His whole back was torn apart in such a way that it was one bruise. And without the shedding of blood, there is no freedom. There is no pardon. The Bible says Jesus bore your sicknesses and carried your pains. Hebrew, uh, um, Matthew eight seventeen says, Himself took your infirmities and bare your sicknesses. So whichever word you want to use, he's talking about a physical condition. He's talking about the physical condition of sickness. And it says that the price that was paid, remember, he bore your sicknesses. He suffered something as a punishment. The punishment that he paid, the price that bought your body and your spirit, was the shedding of his blood. He shed just as much of his blood in Pilate's court when he was beaten as when he was hanging on the cross. We think of the cross as him paying the price for sin. Well, then what was the price for sickness when he was beaten in Pilate's court? Now, I'm not going to try to have an argument with somebody about which one was worse. They were both horrible. Folks, the language is so exact that if there was one sixty-fourth of an inch between any two distinguishing marks, the word bruise could not be used. That's how exact the language, both Hebrew and Greek, is. There was no way to distinguish one mark from another. Now, let me read you what one of the, uh, uh, the most um, well-known scholars of Dr. McCrossin's day, at least, said. His name is Geike, not Geico, Geike. And in his book, Life of Christ, he describes Jesus, the scourging that Jesus undertook. He wrote this. He said, victims condemned to be uh, condemned to the cross first underwent the hideous torture of the scourge. And this was immediately inflicted upon Jesus. He was now seized by some of the soldiers standing near, and after being stripped to the waist, was bound in a stooping posture, his hands being behind his back to a post or a block near the tribunal. He was then beaten at the pleasure of the soldiers with knots of rope or plaited leather thongs, armed at the ends with acorn-shaped drops of lead or small sharp-pointed bones. In many cases, not only was the back of the person scourged, cut open in all directions, but even the eyes, the face, and the breast were torn, and teeth not seldom knocked out. Under the fury of the countless stripes, the victims sometimes sank amidst screams, convulsive leaps and distorts into a senseless heap, sometimes died on the spot, sometimes were taken away, an unrecognizable mass of bleeding flesh to find deliverance in death from the inflammation and fever, sickness and shame." Now, folks, you need to understand something. The Jews had a rule. They had a law that you couldn't beat anybody, you couldn't uh, whip anybody more than 40 times. The Romans didn't have that law. There was nothing that said that the Roman soldiers had to stop at any point in time. 
Gaiki goes on to say that the scourging of Jesus was one of the severest for the soldiers only too gladly vented on any Jew the grudge that they bore that nation and they would doubtless try if they could not force out the confession which his silence had denied to the governor. Remember Jesus wouldn't answer Pilate? Besides, he was to be crucified and the harder the scourging, the less life there would be left to detain them afterwards on guard at the cross. Now, Eusebius was one of the uh, early church historians. He wrote this about uh, uh, Roman scourging. And this was some of the martyrs, not just those that were crucified. He said, All around were horrified to see them so torn with the scourges that their very veins were laid bare, and the inner muscles and sinews or even their very bowels were exposed. Now, folks, I grew up watching westerns on TV. And sometimes there'd be somebody that got out of line and so they'd be tied up somewhere and somebody would horse whip them. That's not what Jesus endured. Now you understand why Peter asserts with Isaiah that by his bruise, not bruises, you were healed. Referring, as we have clearly proven from the use of this verb healed, to bodily healing. Much of his precious blood, I'm still quoting from Macrossan, Much of his precious blood was doubtless shed while receiving that awful bruise for our physical healing. But the rest of his precious blood was reserved to be shed on the cross for our sins. Here Peter clearly teaches, 1 Peter 2.24 clearly teaches that Christ not only suffered, bled, and died for our sins, but also our physical healing. Notice the way that Peter, 1 Peter 2.24 ties together the price paid for sins, and the obtaining of physical healing. Who his own self, in his own body, bore our sins on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Folks, it is an absolute fact. You need to understand this. Please let this sink in. It is an absolute fact that just as Jesus carried away sin, in the same way, at the same time, the same work of the cross... He carried away sickness. Just as you do not, you no longer, because you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, you no longer have to be bound by sin. You no longer have to be bound by sickness. It has been equally carried away. You know as well as I do that a lot of Christians live their lives, live their Christian lives, servants to and bound by sins. They never overcome sin in their life. But that's not because that's the way God wants it. It's not, the, it's not because that's the way it has to be. It's because they never appropriate the things that God has given to us to become victorious over sin. In the same way, Christians can be subject to sickness, but it's not because it's God's will. It's not because the work hasn't been done. It's because in many cases they never learn how to appropriate the healing work that Jesus accomplished. But make no mistake about it. Just as He bore your sins, He bore your sicknesses. How did he do that? How did Jesus bear away our sins? In a vicarious, that's a a theological term, in a vicarious way as our substitute. In other words, he did it so you didn't have to. How did he bear away your sicknesses? Vicariously as your substitute. He did it so you didn't have to. I really have to work on my attitude a lot of times when people come against the doctrine of healing, physical healing, and they try to take on some spiritual air that it's not important. When you understand the severe beating that Jesus took and the blood that He shed to purchase your healing, that offends me. He didn't have to do it. God could have set up a plan in another way. Jesus could have said, okay, I'll go to the cross. (laughs) Jesus could have made a deal with God in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'll go to the cross, but I'm not taking that beating. But He did. He suffered horribly so that you could be free from sickness. He bore your sins and He bore your sicknesses. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your great plan of redemption. What an awesome thing it must have been for You to send Your only Son to the earth knowing the suffering, that which He would suffer at the hands of men. Unrighteous men but you chose to do it because you loved us so much. Lord Jesus, thank you 
for holding steady to the plan of God. Not because you wanted to. Your word says that you despised the shame of the cross and all that was associated with it, but you did it for the joy that was set before you. Lord Jesus, we recognize that we are that joy that was set before you. Thank you, Lord, that just as you bore our sins, you carried it away, suffered the punishment that we should have suffered for it. We were made righteous. Thank you, Lord, that in the same way you bore our sicknesses, suffered the punishment for sickness that did not belong to you. For our sake, we thank you that we are healed by the bruise of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We therefore declare by faith in your word that we stand before heaven, earth, and hell healed by the precious blood of Jesus. The shedding of Jesus' blood in Pilate's court provided freedom and pardon from every sickness and every disease. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name and by His stripes, we are healed. Let's lift our hands and thank Him because that's true. Oh, Father, we worship You. Thank You so much that healing is ours. Thank You so much, Father, for the work that Jesus did. Lord Jesus, how precious it is to us to recognize the price that you paid, to buy back, to redeem both our spirit and our bodies. We love you, Lord Jesus. We thank you that healing is ours. Thank you that healing is ours. Thank you that healing is ours. Blessed be the name of Jesus. 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 Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. Just say it right where you are. By Jesus' stripes, I am healed. Free from sickness by the blood of Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name, Lord Jesus. The glory of God's here. Whatever you need, just reach up and take it. I've never taught on the price that Jesus paid for your sickness without the glory of God coming in the room. It's hanging over your head right now. Just reach up and take what you need. Blessed be the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Your willingness to hold steady when you didn't want to go through with it. Your willingness to hold steady for our sake. Lord, we bless you. We magnify your name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Amen. Isn't the presence of God good? Hallelujah. Let's all stand together. Let's make a declaration according to the word. Say this after me. By Jesus' stripes, by the precious blood He shed, I am healed. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. You're dismissed.